Well, good morning, and welcome to Oleves Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, February the 16th, 2015. Today we're reading from the Big Book, Chapter 4, We Agnostics, and we are at page 51, paragraph 1, that begins with this world of ours. Today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Amy W., The Twelve Traditions, Karen U., and our readers of the text are Anne-Marie M., Du L., and Sharon R. S. The share code for yesterday's Sunday special edition, its panel on Step 2 um, from the AA 12 and 12, and that would be um, February the 15th, 2015, is 7330. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members, We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Amy W. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. Uh, This is Amy W., a compulsive overeater from California. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, 
we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and pass. And thank you, Amy W. I will now ask Karen Yu to please read the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Good morning. Um, my name is Karen Yu from Michigan. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. And thank you, Karen. You, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on, on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence, our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does require, request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in chapter four, We Agnostics, on the very on page fifty one. The la, I'm sorry, fifty one, <laughs> the first paragraph. This would this world of ours 
And at this time, I will ask Anne-Marie M. to please uh, begin reading. Thank you, Janice. Thanks for your service. This is Anne-Marie M., Recovered Compulsive Eater in South Carolina. This world of ours has made more material progress in the last century than in all the millenniums that went before. Almost everyone knows the reason students of ancient history tell us that the intellect of the men of men in those days were equal to the best of today. Yet ancient times material progress was painfully slow. The spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research and invention was almost unknown. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition and all sorts of fixed ideas. Some of the contemporaries of Columbus saw a round world earth prosperous. Others came near putting Galileo to death for his astronomical heresies. Um, again, Anne Marie M. here, and this is mostly black and white, and just explaining what I gather out of this paragraph, explaining to us that men of ancient times were no less. Um, intelligent. They weren't more stupid than we were. They just had lots of stupid superstitions and were ignorant. Ignorant ignorant meaning that they didn't know, not ignorant meaning that they were stupid. And I have such hope, you know, reading this that once, you know, they, you know, we all know that they thought Columbus was crazy. Um, I'm hoping that someday that people will look back and realize that compulsive eating is certainly a disease. And it is not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter of somebody just being a glutton. I used to call those things my, myself before I knew that I was I had this disease. And I was just sharing with another fellow compulsive eater that my first meeting, how relieved I was to walk in and realize that I wasn't alone, that some other people were doing some of the exact same things with food that I was. And so I just thought my, I thought of my own self at my time, I thought of my own self as a glutton. And so I just have hope that someday we will be understood um, this disease will be understood as it really is. Thank you, and I'll pass. And thank you, Anne-Marie. Okay, who would like to comment on this paragraph, what was read? Star one to unmute. Hello, my name is Betty Ann. I'd like to comment. Please do, Betty Ann. Betty Ann. Well, <laughs> Betty Ann, A-N-N. -N. Um. Well, yes, I had a lot of fixed ideas when I came in. In fact, uh, I was very close-minded. You know, I was unwilling. First of all, I thought that higher power existed, but it didn't care about me. And then I realized I was diminishing God. I mean, God is all-powerful in everything. So why would I limit God's power? Why would I say, well... Me decide, I decide, God can do this, and he can't do that. I mean, who am I to do that? And um, 
when I react to a situation today, I used to react, um, I still do sometimes, in a very, like, hysterical, crazy, over-the-top way. Um, first of all, I say the third step prayer. And then someone told me it's such a useful thing to do a tenth step, even if you're not at the tenth step. Do a tenth step around the situation. And what that helps me feel is that I'm not alone, that I'm not a helpless, hopeless victim, that God cares about me because he directed me to do this tenth step, and that um, you see your part in it. And uh, it's a very rele- it's a relief to see that there's there are things that that I can do to and that with God's help that I can do. But um, and God is infinite and He's there for all of us. And I I don't I don't limit His um, power to help. So thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you, Betty Anx. Anybody else that would like to comment on what was read? This is Sarah. Yeah. This is Sarah. Is that right, Sarah? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And who? Okay. And who else? Kim. Oh, Kim. Kim G. Yes. Oh, good. Anybody else? Okay, Sarah. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, Janice, and thank you um, for your service. You know, what I'm going to share is not really from myself. It's from things that I've learned here from all of you. Um, It says, the spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research, and invention was almost unknown. And I was directed to page 164, and, and it says, we say it every day, we realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. And, you know, that's really what this... Um, is saying is that everything that we know today that wasn't known before, the ancient times and the progress was painfully slow. The reason we didn't know it is because God didn't want us to know it. And we need, you know, there are things that we need to know that I need to know in terms of my own um, recovery and on what I can do each day to help the man who still suffers, and my, including myself and, and the people in my world. I need to recognize that God will disclose to me when I can get close to him. And with that, I pass. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Kim G., you're up. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. I never heard that word feather until I read the big book, and I looked it up, and it says confined or restrained movement. So it's, I think of it like an inmate. An inmate comes into court, and they have their arms in shackles and their legs in shackles, and they kind of shuffle in because that stops them from escaping because they're feathering or restraining their movement. And I had to look at what was restraining or restricting my movement to this idea of recovery. What were my fixed ideas? that were keeping me restrained so that I couldn't recover. So I just sat here and, and wrote some stuff down. You know, one of those fixed ideas was that food and weight was my problem. So I only addressed my food and my weight. You know, that moderate eating and moderate exercise was the solution to my compulsive overeating. 
And that is a solution for someone who's not a compulsive reader. It's a solution for someone where food and weight is only their problem. Other things that, that, that um, fettered me was meeting makers make it. So I thought that if I just made enough meetings, I was going to do that. And my personal experiences, if my, if my program was based on meeting makers make it, then I did 90 and 90. That meant day 91 that I picked up. I was the big one was that I thought OA was an eight-tool program. And I used only the eight tools as a program of recovery, forgetting the fact that we're a 12-step program. And I'm not bashing the tools. In fact, I want to try to challenge you guys. I find it's very easy to work the eight tools and not work the 12 steps. But I dare you to try to work the 12 steps without working the tools. So I would work the tools without the steps, and I would go back into relapse. I thought the steps were a la carte. I can just choose which ones I want to do in whatever order I want to do them. I also thought that steps were only something you did when you were in pain. When things were going your way, you didn't need the steps. You didn't need God. A big one for me was service is slimming. And I thought if I did enough service, that was going to protect me from the disease. I thought the steps were optional. After all, it says it's only suggested. But for someone like me, the real compulsive overeater, if I don't take the suggestion of the 12 steps, I'm going to die. So I guess they are suggested. I can choose alcoholic destruction, or I can choose the, de- choose the steps. And I really thought, like I said, this, that abstinence was the answer to a two-fold illness. Abstinence is the answer if I only have the one-fold illness of the allergy of the body. If I have the obsession of the mind, if I am a real compulsive overeater, if I am the compulsive overeater of the type this book is written for, abstinence is the beginning. It's essential. It gets the uh, allergy arrested. But if I do not address the obsession of the mind by working the steps, I'm going to go back into that doctor's opinion, that vicious cycle over and over and over. So to me, this whole chapter, if we had to rename it from we agnostics, was change your mind, open your mind, get unfettered from those fixed ideas which are keeping you restrained in the illness. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Is there anyone else that would like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Nessa. Can I share? Yes. Could you spell your name kindly? Sure. N E S. E H. Okay, please yes, go ahead. They are. Okay, thank, thank you. Um, the the difference between um, today and a hundred years ago is is only due to open mindedness. Um, and whether it's uh, um, uh, as a society or individually, it's only open mindedness that keep us keep us um, or lack of open mindedness that keep us stuck in the past. Um, so. Open-mindedness means the ability to, or the willingness, rather, to let go of lifelong conceptions, you know, discarding the ideas that, that don't really work to adopt new ideas that do work as you see them work in others, which is what program is about. And for me, the biggest idea that didn't work for me was that the state of my life was everybody else's fault. The reason I ate was because... Um, I didn't have enough money, 
uh, my kids weren't behaving, my husband didn't listen to me, you know, whatever, whatever my boss was mean, whatever you think, I was, I was a victim. And, you know, it took, it took a lot of working program for me to be able to say, okay, you know what, I, I cannot control others, but I can control my life. And it was the result of the steps that I was able to, um, to get out of that self-pity um, victim, victim mode. But it wasn't until I was willing to admit, okay, you know, where am I to blame? How have I been the manufacturer of my own misery? And as it says um, in the big book regarding step four, you know, I was prepared to look at my list from a completely different angle, which is forget about it, what everybody else is doing, focus on what I am doing. And it takes a big um, shift and a very open mind to say, okay, yes, I am at fault. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. It matters what I am doing. You know, lack of open-mindedness will keep me stuck in the old patterns. Open-mindedness will open up a whole new uh, future that is much better for me and for those around me. And as I, as I change, those around me will change as well in very positive ways. Uh, which is what we've seen with the scientific uh, progress. I mean, there's negative and there's, there's positives, but for the, for the most part, it's been, it's been very positive and it's been very rapid because as a society, we have been very open-minded about new ideas and technologies, et cetera. And I have to do the same thing in my life um, about how I behave, uh, about letting God in my life, um, about sticking with what works also. Oftentimes, I see people succeed at their diets or even in program and once they get to where they want to be they go back to their old ideas and then that doesn't work I mean that's really really self-defeating um, so stick with what works change move towards what works and then stick with it um, it's it's what I what I see um, and with that I pass thank you yes thank you is there anyone else that would like to comment on this paragraph Melanie Melanie, please go Jan. ahead. Good morning. Melanie, Hi, good morning. Who? Excuse me. Who, who is behind Melanie? Jan. Jan, Jan G. G. Okay, go ahead, Melanie. Thank you, and then Jan G. Hi, good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater calling in from Oregon today, um, and I'm reading this and thinking again, like others were sharing, that uh, what was it like? with the um, intellect of before and now and what was it like during those times. And I'm thinking about the fact that, that, um, that maybe the, the world and in the, in the, in communication and transportation were smaller. So if I were in that group, then I would think and believe and do what was around me. That was such a strong influence on my life. I, too, was a bit of a chameleon or, um, you know, if that's what the community thought, then that's what I was going to do, whether I was in. Um, you know, a family unit or a larger place, and and even to the small point of, gosh, I I cook my roast that way because that's the way my grandma did and her grandma did. I never even questioned it. That's just what we do, right? And so I never moved outside of that that idea. And I've also been in places in recovery where I've been a bit of a Columbus and. Quite frankly, Galileo, I would go into um, rooms and, and I would see, you know, just in hindsight, see how recovery was done and, and never question it and did exactly what they did and got exactly what they got until somebody showed me something somewhere. I'm not, I'm not, a, a, I, I don't have a creative individual new idea. I, I watch and I see and somebody showed me something different. 
and then my world got bigger. I saw something larger about a program of attraction, and my world got bigger. And then I started being able to spill that out, and their world got bigger. But when I took it back, when I took it back home in that small, tiny community that didn't have that same kind of mobility and place to go, ooh, ooh I was, I was, I was hard-pressed. I was very firmly and purposefully press back down in to the same recovery that I found in those rooms until until there was more, until folks were able to see slowly but surely, a little bit at a time, and try something new, and then there was a shift. But it was painfully slow, and it was easy to put Melanie, you know, in some meetings I ended up leaving because I thought that was doing more harm than good. And so I believe it's this idea of just enlarging a little bit at a time and seeing something more. And then from that, the crowds allowed something to happen. And I, from there, I think that, that it convicts my heart, you know, to continue to, to bring what we're doing, especially in this room here, out to, to a larger group and to a larger area. You know, with that, that in mind, that was, that's been my experience. Anyway, I hope that makes some sort of chronological sense. Thanks, I'll pass. And thank you, Melanie C. Jan, Jan G. Hi, I'm Jan G. from New York. Uh, first time I'm sharing, although I've been listening to you guys for a long, long time, and you all give me so much. I've been in um, OA for about over a year and a half, and um, as other people have shared, I've been to meetings. Um, I've used the tools, but I realize, listening to all you guys, that I need to do what you're doing because I feel like that I'm not doing uh, what the big book says and working the big book, and I feel like the disease um, is pulling me back into the quicksand. Um, And so, you know, I'm looking to, you know, get a sponsor in this room, and and I've been in the rooms for over a year and a half, and I still have not done my fourth step. And... um, Although I've gotten a lot from the tools, I'm still totally insane and um, desperate um, and extremely sad. And I I, I realize that it's not just the tools, it's the 12 steps and doing the big book. And um, I thank you guys for everything that you give me every day. It's like having a shot in the arm of um, what I need, and um, with that I pass. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Jen G. I'd like to take a minute here. My name is Janice M., and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Now, I'm gonna, I, I see it in another way here because I, this is step two. So when I came into OA, I was desperate. My ways didn't work. So I got that. I got the helplessness, the powerlessness of the ways that I worked and what I believed in. Then they came and they said step two came to believe, well, 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 to believe the way I believed my superstitions, the way that I was brought up, and the traditions that I was brought up in were very narrow. I became very narrow-minded about a power. Like it says, came to believe in a power. So the power that I had, first of all, I was the power. Then the then the other power um you know, I, I just couldn't believe like they believed. And I think that's what, 
you know, the superstitions of, of, of the day was for me. It was a belief not even based on reasons and things like that. And I can relate that to, you know, Galileo and Columbus. That to me, the customs that I was brought up with that was handed down to me by my parents, their beliefs, you know, and from people to people, because that's what a tradition is. You know, it's a belief, it's a custom that was, you know, that is handed down. And um, it just didn't um, go with me. It just didn't go. So now I had to, my narrow-minded thinking had to come to a willingness to believe. That doesn't mean I have to believe right now, but a willingness to try something different, to try another power. Didn't say name what kind of a power it was, but if you don't believe that you can achieve, you won't. So nothing else worked. So, you know, I had the willingness. I didn't know what the power was. I didn't know what it was going to be the result. I didn't know the actions that I had to take. I didn't know the decisions I had to make. But at least I was willing to try something because everything else that I that I tried did not work. So that's what I see in this particular paragraph and uh, the step. And with that, I'm going to pass to, um, we're going to go on to the next paragraph. It ties in with Duell, please. Do. Press star one to unmute. Good morning. It's Duell, Recover Compulsive Overeater. It says, we ask ourselves this. Are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as we were of ancients about the realm of the material? Even in the present century, American newspapers were afraid to print an account of the Wright brothers' first successful flight at Kitty Hawk. Had not all the efforts at flight failed before? Did not Professor Langley's flying machine go to the bottom of the Potomac River? Was it not true that the best mathematical minds had proved man could never fly? Had not people said God had reserved this privilege to the birds? Only 30 years later, the conquest of the air was almost as old an old story, and airplane travel was in full swing. Uh, good morning. My name is uh, Du L, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I really love this because it reminds me that, you know, here it says, are not, such just, um, are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as we were ancient times about the realm of the material. And in this, chap- in, in this whole chapter, it's talking about, it's making a contrast between the material and the spiritual. And it's basically the same thing, you know. As long as I keep an, uh, a, a, a close mind, I'm not going to see things that are possibilities. Um, and it leads me to faith. You know, what is faith? Faith is a firm belief in something for which there is no logical, material, or absolute proof of. It's a belief for trust and loyalty to to God, or any set of beliefs or principles. It's a belief in the truth, value, or trustworthiness of an idea, principle, person, or thing, a reliance or allegiance or hope. So that's faith. Faith is, you know, you, you have no idea of what the outcome is going to be like, you, you, but you trust that it's going to work out. 
and you're gonna you're gonna put your faith on that. And and for these people, you know, with the material world, they did not re- they did not trust. They did not rely on unless it was absolutely something that was proven. It was something that you know had come to pass. But even then, even then, you have to go to trial and error in order to get there. <laughs> you know, and so you know, part of it is you know we have to go through the the steps. We have to go through the process of experimentation in order to get to the other side, you know, because how, how will we learn? You know, it's, it's, it's a process. It's a process. And so here's given us this, this um, example of the Wright brothers, you know, about that they, they had a childish faith. They didn't know that it was going to work or not, but they truly believed that if they continued to practice it, they continued to do it, that, that eventually they would get to a result. And and um and sure enough, you know, thirty years later we have airplane travel, which people said they would never have. And so they're they're giving us this example so that they can contrast it with the spiritual. We we're the same same thing about the spiritual. If I can't see it, if I can't feel it, if I can't prove it, I don't believe it. And yet science has taught us that there are a lot of things that we can't see with the physical eye that exist, that are there, that are working on our behalf. We look at the atoms. We look at the, 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 the molecules. We look at the, the, the germs. We look at all these things that are, are pre-existing in us, and they're working on our behalf, and yet we can't physically see it unless we take a magnifying glass and look very closely at it. And the same thing is with spiritual. The spiritual is, you know, we have these unseen forces working on our behalf. And unless we focus on it, you know, with a magnifying lens, we can't see those things. And the way I focus on it and the way the big book tells me to focus on it is with faith. Faith. And what is faith? I can't see it. I can't explain it. I can't make an understanding of it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust and rely on it so that I can be catapulted to, to that next dimension. And so, um, you know, so that's, that's what I see here. And with that, I pass. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Do. Who else would like to comment on this paragraph? I'd like I to Leah. Uh, let me see. I think I heard Charles. And I heard some other people. Eileen. Who? Eileen? Yes, I think I. Okay. Yep. Go ahead, Charles, Eileen, and who else? Leah. Yes, Leah. Please, Leah. Go ahead. Charles, Eileen, Leah. And is that you, Sally? Yeah, it is me. Thank you. Okay, let's go with those four. Thank you. Charles, please, you're up. Thank you very much, Kathy. Um, my name is Charles H. A recovered visionary just for today, and I just want to take—I just want to take a few seconds to magnify my higher power. That like it didn't have to be this good. Like I, you know, he didn't have to wake me up this morning. I just magnify him today. A power greater than myself. That power. That power is is not human, and I believe it. I just believe it. You know. I worship that power because that's the only power that's going to save me um, from my destructive self. You know, um, 
men's minds. I don't even know where I know we're on fifty one. I, I know we're somewhere on fifty one, but I just want to. I, I just the presence of God is the most important fact of, of my life today. It presents a powerful reason why I should have faith. You know, me, me following a food plan, me getting up um, and congregating with over 200 people from 7 a.m. to probably 9 a.m. this morning because it's about giving it to somebody else. It really is. It's not about me. You know, I believe today. You know, I, I, I believed a few months ago, but today I believe in, in the presence of God. And I, and I worship and magnify him. That's all I got this morning. Thank you, visionaries, and have a great day. And thank you, Charles. Eileen, you're up. Press star one to unmute. Thank you. This is Eileen, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Um, I really, this paragraph spoke to me in the sense of the questions about um had not all our efforts at flight failed before? Um, did not Professor Langley's flying machine go to the bottom of the Potom- Potomac River? You know, that says to me that the Wright brothers knew this, that there was failure, but they didn't give up. They persevered, similar to what happened to me in my recovery. As I've shared on here before on this meeting, it took me 18 years to get the willingness to surrender the sugar and the flour, my drugs. Was it not true that the best mathematical minds had proved man could never fly? But I didn't. I did not give up because I did not give up, excuse me, because When I went to my first meeting in 86, I heard people in that meeting sharing about stuffing their feelings down with food. Prior to that, I thought there was something mentally, spiritually, physically wrong with me the way that I ate or the way that I craved food. But when I came to my first meeting, I knew that there was something here that I had to have. I had to put the sugar and the flour down, and I was like the Wright brothers. I did not quit, similar to what someone else in program has said to me. Don't quit, I mean. I didn't. And and I finally got it in 2004, and thank you, God, I've been abstinent. But um, there was something that chimed into me about that paragraph about not quitting, perseverance and uh just don't don't um don't give up thanks i'll pass and thank you eileen leia leia m thanks so much janice for your service good morning everybody it's leia m you know this book really started to wake me up um because i came here just spiritually undeveloped you know it was a world a realm that had never been introduced to me um, you know, I had been relying on self-sufficiency uh, and, and intellect, you know, all through childhood and adolescence and young adulthood, and um, as a result, I was self-destructing. And, you know, this book started to teach me something else, you know, that no real progress is ever made in this world unless we challenge the established ideas that don't work, 
and become willing to try something that might work, you know, a new idea. And until someone was willing to try out the idea that the earth was round, for example, or that the earth circled the sun, uh, you know, there was little progress made in navigation. So the big book is giving that example. And until someone was willing to try out the idea that a heavier-than-air flying machine could be built, it was not built. You know, the idea um, that self-sufficiency and self-reliance can be put aside and I can have uh, a new way of life was a new idea for me. (laughs) It was a new idea because I had been fettered. I had been chained to a wall. I had been shackled uh, by this disease. I had been in bondage. So what the big book started to present to me and someone in whom the problem had been solved brought it to life told me, uh, brought this text to life by telling me, you know, Leia, creativity and inventions come from a willingness to try something different and to see if it works. And the willingness to change your belief system, Leia, can lead to being able to do things that were once thought impossible, such as keeping the food down. And I had to take a look at the results of the way I had been thinking, my self-sufficiency, my self-reliance, my reliance on intellect, my reliance on problem-solving and mustering myself through life. And you know what? I happened to look down at my left hand and notice a plastic wristband because I was in a lockup facility (laughs) in order to, to get some help with this eating disorder. So, you know, we always hear about seeing is believing. Well, I like to say believing is seeing, because once I was willing to believe, like step two teaches here, I began to have a new vision. A new vision started to come softly and gently upon me, Um, and I began to wake up. I began to get awoken up to this process of a spiritual path, spirituality. So, you know... When I decided to believe in God, I had no concrete evidence and no particular feeling about it and no past experience to rely on. It was a leap. It was a leap of faith, a leap into the unknown without any benefit of previous experience. And with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you, Leah M. Sally, you're up. Thank you, Janice. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater and I wanted to speak to this sentence in the middle of this paragraph. Had not all efforts at flight failed before? And, you know, this speaks to me because of how many times I tried to get abstinence, how many mornings I woke up and thought, okay, it's a new day, I'm going to do this thing, and how much shame I carried in my back pocket because of all the, all the efforts that failed, all of the efforts at flight that failed on a morning-by-morning basis. And, you know, before I move on with that, let me just say that when we talk about Galileo, it's amazing that this guy, you know, he believed so strongly that he was willing to come out of a closet and say, look, the sun is the center of the solar system, and that our planet revolves around that sun. And do you know that they put this guy under house arrest? They literally had this guy locked up until his death in 1642 that's how strongly they were against what he was proposing okay so now here we are we're in this um this oa um program and i've been in this thing for 32 years and do you know that for 32 years i was holding tightly to the handrails 
the handrails to the steps or the tools. That's, for some of us, we need handrails. Some people are running up and down the steps. They're weighing and measuring their food. They don't have to give it away. They're doing fine with just working in this big book. I liken it to cancer. Some people have cancer and they just need chemo. Some people are like me. They need chemo and radiation. I needed chemo, this 12-step recovery program, which treats the mental aspect of my disease. And I also needed a handrail, that the tools that were going to keep me on the steps and not have me falling off the sides on a regular basis. So had not all efforts of flight failed before? You know, that was Sally's story. My story was for 30 years I was struggling and working in OA, and I wasn't getting it. Was something wrong with OA? Was some, I was blaming God. I was blaming OA. I was blaming everybody except something was wrong with my thinking. I wasn't getting it. I was focused intrinsically on these tools, these tools of recovery. I kept thinking if I could just shine up my tools, I can get this, I can get this, this little coin. I can, I can boast that I've got a year or two years or three years, and I even had five years of abstinence, but I was stark, raving abstinence. I was white-knuckling it the whole time. It wasn't until I put the two together, because for me, I needed the chemo and the radiation. I needed the steps to treat my mind. I needed the, the handrails to keep me on the steps, on the straight and narrow. And so when I look at that sentence, had not all efforts at flight failed before, don't let shame stop you from doing this thing again. It's all about the steps, and the tools help us stay on the steps, on the path. Thanks for letting me share. And thank you, Sally A. Is there anyone else that would like to comment on yes, this paragraph? Well, Jan M. Matt M. I didn't get one person. I think I heard. Janice. Okay. Janice, Bobbitt. I heard. Okay, let's have Janice P. Yes. And who else? Matt M. Matt M. Let's get Matt M. Okay, another one? Liz. Oh. Vasa, let's go oh. with those three for now, okay? And then we'll continue if we get time. Janice P., you're up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Janice. Good morning. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, God bless Bill W. and those first 100 alcoholics for giving us some things that we could start to wrap our mind around. Why we haven't been able to do this. You know, I believe, I believe personally that we are hardwired as human creatures. We are hardwired to seek the spiritual. But what what prevents us from doing that? When you look back at humankind, mankind has always sought the spiritual. Always. And yet, what stops us from doing that? I believe it's fear. I believe it's fear. You know, I believe it's fear that we lock up people with new ideas, as someone was saying on the line. You know, people with ideas that seem strange and new and different and wonderful, it can shake the whole system up. And sometimes that causes great fear. Well, I don't know about you, but there was fear inside of me. Fear to believe in something greater, more powerful than me. Fear that it was going to shake up my whole system as I knew it. Fear that maybe it wouldn't work for me. Maybe it would work for other people, but not for me. You know, there was all kinds of fear. And the 
so clear about that we face a hundred forms of fear and that it can stop us in our tracks, that fear. But there is something here, something here, and, and they're reassuring us. Plenty of times new ideas have shaken up the system. But people have that hardwired in them to keep seeking, to keep looking, to keep finding this thing greater than ourselves. And you and I here on the line are perfect and wonderful examples of that. Because we keep drawing new people, listening, wanting to believe, really needing to believe, and eventually they come to believe. You know, and why is that? Why is that? Because we decide to set aside the fear, even just for a short of time, and start to take the actions we've seen those take ahead of us. And the results we get cannot be denied. They cannot be denied. And so I just invite you to set aside that fear, if that's, if that's true for you, and to embrace what's here, because we have people who have recovered as a result of these beautiful 12 steps. And it's available for all of us. And with that, I'll pass. And thank you, Janice P. Matt M., please, you're up. Hi, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Jen, I'm here, Janice. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, hi, hi, everyone. Um, this is Matt M., a compulsive overeater from New Jersey. I just want to clarify, I'm in, a nurse, I'm in a nursing home setting right now. I'm in a rehab. I'm really sick. So if, if you hear a knocking at the door or someone comes in, just for, please forgive that. I don't have a do not disturb sign. I can't put it on the door. Um, I'm very grateful that I'm here in this meeting today. I haven't been on it for most of the week last week. I realized that um, as someone should, they were talking about, you know, when, they're, when they're, they're fine when they're working the program, but they have to be in, no, they're not fine when they're working the, when they're fine, but when they're sick, they have trouble working the program. For me, um, I have no problem working the program when I'm feeling fine. I'm very sick right now, and I realize the reason I'm struggling so much with the food and with like, taking that leap of faith is because my lack of control, I don't have any control. I didn't realize, like, you know, coming into the program after a five-year relapse that, you know, oh, yeah, I come back into the program and I'm going to do so well, get my food together. I knew I was going to lose weight because I'm morbidly obese, so the weight was going to come off fast in the beginning. And I don't know about you, but that's a head rush. It was a shot of adrenaline right to the heart. Like, yeah, I got this, you know. Got a sponsor who I can't talk to every day and which really frustrates me. I've been very, very, I'm very um, in denial about a lot of things, about my faith, about the program, about what it can do for me. And this whole, this whole week, I've been not been calling many people. I've been really angry, very bitter, and I don't know where it's coming from. And it, I don't know what it is. Someone asked me where it's coming from, and I realized I don't know. I have to search for why I'm so bitter and angry. I think part of it is because I don't, I, part of me deep down thinks the program does not work, but I know it's not true. I heard something today that really helped me with my faith that someone said they were in 18 years, and they finally got it now. I thought I was the only one who's been struggling for years and years in this program, and I just couldn't get it. I thought that was, I was, I was just mentally deficient, or I thought there was something inherently wrong with me in my system, that I just couldn't seem to get the concept of a higher power or get the whole thing about coming to believe in something outside myself. And that's why I think I've been struggling so much lately. But things were going well since November until now, until I got sick. I was okay, you know. I was able to, yeah, I could, I could do this. I could do that. Yeah, I could work all the tools. I can get a sponsor. Now it's where I realized it's the hardest thing for me to do now that I'm being challenged on a daily basis. I really haven't been able to eat since Friday. I've been very nauseous on the medications they got on me. 
and for a compulsive overeater, being nauseous and not being able to eat, for me, it's like it's a big thing. I just don't know. I just don't know where to go with that. So I'm just right now. I'm basically. I, I've gone this meeting, and I was going to get off early, but I, I thank God. I my on my higher power, whatever it is, kept me on the meeting because I heard exactly what I needed to hear exactly at the moment when I was going to hang up the phone. So I really do believe that this program does work. I just, and I am willing to finally come to terms with my faith issues, and I really finally come to terms that I have to get a new sponsor. It's not his fault that it's not working for me. I just wasn't able to be honest about it with myself that I need someone different because I was at the deep core of my being. I didn't want to disappoint him, and that's not what a sponsor's job is. My sponsor is not to make my sponsor. My job is not to make my sponsor happy. Their job is to be a guide for me to help me um, so I can work and get into myself into recovery through the steps. And I finally realized how much of a people pleaser I've been my whole life, and how much that's put me in trouble, and how much I struggle with trying to find my own way in life because I've always molded myself and, and melded myself into what other people wanted me to be. And so when I changed, people didn't understand, what's wrong with Matt? Why, doesn't he, why is he not the same anymore? Because I was sick and tired of acting. And um, just for today, I'm willing to, I think I'm willing to take the leap of faith. I'm going to make more phone calls today. Um, I'm going to make myself more available okay, to the program. And thank you very much. And with that, I'll pass. Thank yes, you. Yes, and, and thank you, Matt. And Vanessa, we have about three minutes. I mean, Vasa, Vasa. Okay, thank you, Janice. Good morning, everybody. Anna Vasa, Recover Compulsive Overeater, calling from Florida. I was underdeveloped. I needed to be developed, and the steps helped me get developed and my higher power as I came in the program. Uh, I, again, before I found the program, I did what everybody else did, what my mother did, what it, other people did. I dressed, I ate. You know, I was like copying other people what they did and I was doing too. But I was ignorant of God's power. I used my own power and let other people use their power on me. So I didn't have God in my life. I was so self-sufficient. I didn't grow up in a home where I was told or I was taught to use to ask God for help that much. Uh, but again, it's step one says we admit that we're powerless over the food, and I admit it's 100%, 150% I was powerless over the food and came to believe that power greater than ourselves. I was ready and willing to ask uh, to surrender to a power greater than myself because I was dying anyways. I didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but I remember my sponsor saying, it's going to be better uh, you would have a better life than the life that you have right now. So I really didn't have anybody, I didn't need anybody to convince me that I was a um, food addict. Uh, I, I, I didn't know that they called it food addiction or eating disorder, but I knew I could not stop eating, especially the binge foods that I was eating before. So for me, my abstinence was a gift from God right from the beginning, and then I threw myself into the 12 steps. Because I understood for the first time, I could identify, I had the identification and the, I, the allergy that I did not understand before and the mental obsession that I understood, but I thought that was normal. You know, of course, you want to eat those things because they taste so good. And um, so for me, it was just to surrender to God. And yeah, the tools were good. You know, I needed to grab on everything I could at especially at the beginning, 
Because for me to stay from one day or one meal to the next, to be abstinent, I needed to use the tools, the literature, make phone calls, go to meetings, reading, writing. I mean, I just threw myself, you know, and, and the steps, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm not restored 100%. That, uh, that's why I'm still here. I've never left the program. And I'm just so grateful to be with all of you this morning and to share my own experience, strength, and hope, and to okay, hear you Okay, time, also. Vasa. Thank yes, you, and I yes. yes, okay. Thank you. Thank you, Vasa, and thank you to everyone who has shared and who was going to share. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Well, um, Sharon, R.S., please read a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. All right. Thank you, Janice, and thank you for your service. Good morning to all of you visionaries. This is Sharon R.S. I'm a recovered uh, compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.